Welcome to another edition of Viking Voices. Special guest today is Director of Strength and Conditioning for Western Athletics, Damian Fisher. Damian, welcome to Viking Voices. We're excited to hear about your role here at Western, some of your background as a two-sport student athlete, where you're from, and uh, just kind of what makes the Parbury uh, Strength Center tick. So welcome to Viking Voices. Thanks, Jeff. It'll be fun. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about where you're from, uh, high school you went to, uh, understood you played a little uh, junior college ball, and then what, what, what brought you to Western? Yeah, so I, I grew up in Silverdale. Um, I was there until about high school, and we moved to Fife. So I went to Fife High School, um, did the deal there. After that, I was tall and really gangly and not super athletic, but I wanted to play basketball. So I ended up going to Centralia College um, down in Centralia and spent two years there. Um, the way I ended up at Western was actually a lot of it. I'd like to think it was how I played. I don't know if it really was. Um, we had a couple connections at Western. One, the coach at the time, Coach Jackson, his parents lived in the area. So Western would actually always stop by and practice in Centralia on their way down to Western Oregon. Um, so I got to watch them practice and meet the coaches a couple times when they came down um, on their yearly trip. And then our athletic director, Bob Peters, uh, played basketball up here at Western. And so he connected me with them as well. Um, I'd, again, I'd like to think it was my ability, but in reality, it was probably probably those connections that got me up here. Um, what brought me to Western at first was basketball. Was It was one of those where I knew I wanted to play for a team that could win. I didn't know we'd go as far as we did my first year, but um, I wanted to play for a team that would win. Um, it seemed like a great environment. Um, and things worked out. So that's how I ended up up here. And with track and field, you also competed as a thrower at Western, but is that, did you have a background in that as well at Fife and uh, at Centralia? Yeah, that one was, so Centralia didn't have a track team. Um, I did it in high school. Uh, not well, I would say. Um, I won our district in the shot put um, from like a stand throw. So I had no idea what I was doing. I'd never really been taught, um, but I was big and athletic and we're kind of a small school, so it worked out. Um, it was funny, I actually had a, a high school teammate who was on the track team here at Western. And when I told him I was coming up to play ball, he's like, well, you gotta come out for track as well. And I was like, nah, man, it's been like three years. Like there's, there's no way. He's like, no, just, you know, go talk to, go talk to Pee Wee. Um, just see if I'll let you come out. Um, so I ended up talking to him, ended up coming out. They let me on the team as a, a javelin thrower. That was my best in high school when I was all lanky. Um, but the time I got here, I wasn't as lanky. <laughs> so I threw javelin for a couple of years, um, but we realized pretty quickly that I wasn't really built like a javelin thrower anymore. <laughs> so they put the heavier stuff in my hand and turned out to be uh, a lot better at those. But it was uh, very much chance that I stumbled back into track and field um, and that it became a big part of my life since then, but never, never would have expected that when I first came back to Western. It's funny how those things work out, but uh, you, you've been a mainstay over in the Parbury Fitness Center probably for the last 10 years. Um, Tell us what your role is now as the head strength and conditioning coach for the Vikings, who you work closely with, um, you know, and, uh, and how that all works in that beautiful new uh, complex over there in Carver Gym. Yeah, so my primary job, how I view it is I give our student athletes the best possible chance to succeed in their sports. And I tell them over and over again that what we do in preparation does not make you a better player. It gives you the potential to be a better player. So I think that often gets twisted a lot where people think all I got to do is show up, put in the work, I'll get stronger and all of a sudden, you know, I'm going to be a better point guard. And it doesn't really work that way. You know, it gives you physical tools. And so that's what I view it as, is my job is to prepare them for their competition. And then their coaches are the ones who make them better at their sport. Um, and then through the work that the athletes put in themselves, they're the ones who make themselves better at the sport, you know, so they can actually succeed. So I'm kind of the behind the scenes guy who makes sure they're, they're set up you know, they, they have the tools they need to succeed. Um, and that can be physical, mental, you know, it's, it's a performance is not a, uh, you know, one dimensional thing, but that's kind of how I view the job is I give them the tools so that they can go do their thing. That's awesome. And we'll jump around a little bit here, but we'll get a yeah. little bit more about how you got into the strength and conditioning, some of your stops along the way and kind of your style. But, uh, I first kind of want to lead, you know, um, Carver Gym underwent a two-year renovation and it, uh, you were very heavily involved with the move of Parberry kind of to where it was up on the ridge, back into this, what it is, is the new Parberry Fitness Center. Tell us a little bit about that transition from the old to the new and, 
and uh, some of the equipment that you have have in there right now that you're pretty proud of. And overall, just, I mean, you know, I bring visitors by or uh, other teams come by and they look in there like, wow, that is a division one weight room. So tell us a little bit about the transition. Um, some of the people that you worked with, maybe Sornex and, and how, how it all came about and how that process went. Yeah. So there's a lot of pieces that kind of fell into place with that process, which was pretty cool to be a part of. Um, you know, I came in when I started coaching was right at that time we were making that transition out of old Carver. Um, so I got to experience, I spent one year, my first year as a grad assistant was in old Parberry and then, uh, got the full exile experience up in the Ridge <laughs> dorm lobby <laughs> for two years. Um, the bricks were a nice touch, but I don't miss that place. Um, and yeah, we, when I consider myself very fortunate that I was able to have a lot of influence on what we got in the room, wasn't able to choose the space, somebody, you know, doubled it or so, I don't know, made it a feature of the building, but <laughs> two stories. Yeah. yeah. But to be able to choose everything went in a very fortunate. Um, that's not something that many strength and conditioning coaches get to have a lot of say in a lot of times. Um, and there were budget constraints and everything we had to stay in, but because I was able to choose what went in the room, um, it was able to fit my training philosophy. So we have the tools that we need to implement what I think is important, as opposed to having to try to adjust, um, you know, what I think is important to what we have available, uh, which is really cool. I think it's led, you know, it's, it's contributed to a lot of our success that we have those tools that we need. Um, how we got hooked up with Sornex, which has provided most of the um, uh, equipment in here, was actually through, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit, through uh, the Highland Games was um, I throw professionally in those. And one of the guys I threw on the pro circuit with, his name was Dan McKim. And uh, he's a rep for Sornex. So I ended up reaching out to him and we were able to work a couple deals that were better than some of the other stuff that, um, you know, we were looking at from other companies, largely through that connection. Um, and their stuff's great because it's, it's very versatile. It's, it can be customized. Um, it has a lot of options that we can store at the rack which, you know, our, we have top-notch stuff, but it's not that big of a place. You know, it's about 4,000 square feet, which for the 300 or so athletes we have, it's not a big spot. <laughs> so especially in pre-COVID times, you know, where we're maxing out the room capacity on a, you know, session-by-session session basis, um, versatility was really key because it allowed us to adjust for the different groups that we would have in and for the amount of people that we would have. Um, and that's what drew me originally to their equipment. Um, then fortunately we were able to work some things out with them, uh, to get the stuff we wanted, but nearly everything in this room has multiple uses so we can make the best, best use of our space, which again, space anywhere, but especially here is, is incredibly valuable. What, what is your, what is your favorite part about the new setup of the weight room? I know you got, you said the versatile racks, um, you know, rowing has their ergs in there, a couple of uh, treadmills, mm -hmm. you know, is there, is there a, the TRX bands? I mean, there's a lot of good stuff in there, but is there a kind of a favorite uh, kind of spot for you when you're uh, guiding the student athletes through their, their, their workouts? Um, I mean, I'm a pretty simple guy and I use simple tools for the most part. You know, we, all of our stuff is ground-based. So we look at how do they move in a sport and how do we apply force that same way? So the majority of our stuff comes with a barbell, um, which is at those racks. And then we got a lot of tools, you know, we have bands and chains and boxes and all sorts of things we can use with those. Um, but I think the racks, just because they are a, they're a complete training station in one spot. There's nearly anything that you could need is in one place. Um, and it allows us one to get a lot of people through the room, but also you have tons of options that you can do, um, without having to move around that much. You know, it's, it's funny. I presented at a, uh, uh, clinic a couple of weeks ago, a virtual one, and the, we went over uh, variations like of exercises. And we covered how just on the equipment that we have at one rack, without even changing sets and reps, we can do 96 different squat variations awesome. with what we have at the rack. So I think those, if I had to choose one, those would be it. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but, you know, it takes a village for a lot of these things. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think that you do so well that I see is that you, you communicate so well with the coaches, the student athletes, the athletic training staff. How much do you work together as a group to come up with these plans for the student athletes? Obviously, you know, there's not many student athletes that are exactly alike. So you custom the training um, of each one, but how closely do you work with those three entities, um, whether it be a student athlete that's rehabbing or uh, looking to get stronger or a coach that's wanting to get more explosiveness out of a, a certain student athlete? How closely do you work with uh, those people? 
Yeah, in general, very closely. It's going to vary a little sport to sport. You know, different coaches have their different levels of involvement that they want to be. Some want to know everything going on. Some are a little bit more hands-off. And, you know, there's there's pros and cons to those kind of approaches. Um, I think, obviously, all the coaches here have been successful, so their styles work. And that's part of my role as support staff. You know, you're in the same boat here, yeah. is you have to figure out how to support these different coaches and personalities um, and the different pros and cons that come with the different approaches. Um, and we have to be not necessarily different people, but we have to be very flexible in how we go about different situations. Um, you know, some coaches really want to sit down and go over like what their yearly practice periodization plan is, you know, and can we match up the training? Um, some coaches are more of, um, you know, I trust what you're doing, create a program, you know, I'll get them ready on the field. And it starts with uh, any program that I do starts with a needs analysis where we look at very simply, what do they need? <laughs> and number one, there's two ways, two sides to that. One is the sport itself. So what are the, what does somebody need to be successful in their sport? Um, and that can be both the, the physical attributes and things like kinetics, kinematics. So the angles, the forces applied, that kind of stuff. Um, it can be the energy system. So how long do they work? What are their work to rest ratios? What intensity level do they work at? Where's their heart rate at? That kind of stuff. It can be tactical. So, you know, you may have a soccer team that sends their outside backs all the way up the field, you know, to go score goals. Um, we have a team like that. You know, you, you have, may have a team that doesn't. So you can look at the sport in of itself and then what are the tactical considerations of the team in particular. And that leads into then the individual. So if we know the general sport concerns or the general sport needs, what do each of the people on the team need to accomplish that? So if I know that I need to, let's say I'm a volleyball outside hitter, we'll keep it simple. And I need to jump really high to be able to explosively hit the ball down over the net. Um, it's kind of hard to hit the ball to the ground if you don't clear the net. So if you're not six foot five, you need to get up pretty high. Um, so if we look at that and we say we need to be able to jump high to keep it really simply, <laughs> we may have an athlete come in and uh, um, that they may need uh, strength to be able to produce the amount of force necessary to jump high. We may have an athlete who already has good strength levels and they have to work more on the transfer of energy through their tendons to be able to jump high. The same task is what we're doing, but we may have very different means or approaches to get there based on what the athlete has. Um, so with that, looking at the, the sport demands and then the technical components for the sport in particular is with the coaches, you know, figuring out what do they need? What do they see? Um, what do they, where do they feel their team is weak? Cause they're going to watch them play obviously more than I do. I might see the games, but I'm not a practice every day. Um, so they kind of tell me what their teams need, where they're at. Um, and uh, what they need to be successful in their sport. And then the ATCs will tell me if we have any, you know, injury risks, we keep injury data. So do we see any injury trends? Um, where are those injury trends? Are those injury trends non-contact, they contact? Um, and then my job is then to set a plan according to that information. So the coaches give me what the sport needs, what are the individual players tend to, tend to have issues with? The ATCs will tell me what are the common injuries um, what are the kind of the ways that we need to work to try to prevent those things? And then I'll do, um, you know, my side of analysis, which is what are their different physical metrics, um, whether it be asymmetries, whether it be power outputs, strength. From that, we got a pretty different, decent picture, right? That, that we can actually put together into what those people need to succeed in their sport. Truly is a sport science. Yeah. Yeah, very, very cool. A lot of pieces. We'll, we'll, a lot of pieces. We'll, talk, we'll talk a little bit more about kind of your background and, um, you know, where you did your grad school and yeah. your major in is because that's for truly fascinating as well. But I always like to ask about, you know, you were a two sport athlete and um, you <laughs> mentioned it briefly. You kind of arrived on the scene at Western. And you got a little national championship ring. Uh, what was yeah. that experience like as a as a basketball player at Western winning the national championship? There's some great photos that um, that are hanging, I believe, outside of, uh, of your office there that we provided for you. And you kind of, you know getting that trophy, what was that like? And then also, you know, you were a GNAC outdoor great thrower and, and, and had a chance to have success on the court and in competition. What was it like being a student athlete here in two sports at Western? You know, it was funny first off, because I, in high school, we were decent. Um, you know, I think we, we won our first league title in like 22 years, um, which was cool. Um, but that took till my senior year. So we kind of climbed. We had, a, we had a good crew of guys and we climbed over that time. 
Um, a lot of men ended up playing in college at various places. Um, junior college was rough. <laughs> we, <laughs> we struggled. Um, and that was one of the reasons why Western was appealing to me um, was they had a history of winning and I don't like losing. And I would much rather be someone who can contribute a small piece, be part of a winning environment and kind of fill needs as opposed to the star in a losing environment. Yeah. <laughs> Those just aren't fun. I think we've all been in places like that at various times and it's, it's not fun. Um, and so when I was at Western, I actually, I realized that between track and basketball, I was never part of a team that didn't win a conference title. So I think I had six or seven conference titles as an athlete, <laughs> which was crazy, uh, very different. But it was, when it, coming in and winning the title was, it was surreal. It was, it was one of those that, we didn't re you know, we started to realize through the year how good we could be and what we could actually do. Um, but it doesn't really hit for me. It wasn't really until there's probably two, maybe two minutes left in the, in the title game. You start to realize like, Oh, we're going to take this thing. Like they're like, as long as we don't just screw this up, we're going to, we're going to take this thing. Um, and the buzzer goes off and the confetti all comes down. And it, it doesn't, it's one of those situations that you kind of have to be like, is this actually happening? Am I imagining this stuff right now? Because um, you can't replicate it anywhere else. This doesn't happen. Otherwise, both the emotion and then the physical confetti falling on you and all that. It's, it was crazy. It was a really cool experience um, and really cool to get to take part in both sports. And I think that strengthened me a lot as a coach because I got to see both the team aspect and the individual sport aspect which as I'm sure you're familiar, they're very different environments. Yes. You know, one's not better than the other. They're just very, very different. And coming from both backgrounds and having some, some level of success in both has really been able to equip me to interact with and teach athletes from both sides of things. That it's, it's a very different mental approach, you know, to, to come to a competition as a thrower and have, if you can make finals, have six attempts and that's it. You warm up, you got six attempts, you're out. <laughs> that's your day. Um, you know, you make one attempt and uh, you got five, 10 minutes to your next one. And that's very different than a basketball game where you, you know, it's, it's constant. For as long as you're in the game, something is going on. Um, so there's a much greater, I don't want to say greater, a very different mental aspect to the individual sports. Um, that unless you've experienced it, I think it's hard to understand. Um, it's, it's, it's different. It's yeah. different. And being able to experience both of those things and have some degree of success, I think helped me grow a lot mentally. Um, you know, it turned out I was probably better at throwing than basketball and I should have figured that out sooner, <laughs> okay. but you know, that's how it goes. It was fun. It was fun. You know, you mentioned you were a part of never, not part of a, a league championship team, which is fairly remarkable amazing and almost unbelievable which is so cool but do you have a favorite moment obviously the national championship game probably uh in basketball takes that but it was maybe there's a hidden gem in there a, a game that you didn't think was going to turn out the way it did or a performance uh in the in the ring that that just was amazing is there is there something that sticks out in your mind in that competition mode for you as a viking for me, yeah, for me personally, there was one outside of the obvious, you know, winning things as a team. Um, and it was, so like I said, I came late to throwing. I hadn't thrown in three years. Uh, the first year they let me on the team as a javelin thrower with very mediocre results. Um, the year, so my last year of undergrad, I'd finished up the four years of basketball. So I was just doing track. Um, so I did indoor track for the first time, which I didn't know was a thing before I came <laughs> to Western. <laughs> And it was more or less in the fall. They were kind of like, well, you're big. Do you want to throw the shot? Like you threw it in high school. And I was like, okay, I guess so. Um, and I just done stand throws or shuffle. I'd never learned to glide or, or do the rotation or anything. Um, so they taught me how to glide. And uh, uh, it wasn't going great. Uh, and we had two indoor meets that year at, or two that I was able to get into because I didn't have any good throws at UW that year. Uh, before our indoor conference meet. The first one went very poorly. I was like, all right, well, <laughs> delay till outdoor. Um, the second one, for whatever reason, something clicked. You know, and I had a throw that I think ended up sixth or seventh at the time on our indoor top 10 all-time list. Um, and kind of clicked for me like, oh, shoot, I can do this. Like, I, then I was able to score at indoor conference that year, my first year throwing shot. 
Um, and I think I went on to finish fourth or something like that in outdoor. Um, that was kind of the eye-opening moment for me where it was like, oh, I can do more. I can do more than I thought I could. Like, I felt like I was struggling and floodgates kind of open up once one of those things click. So outside the team success, that was a pretty cool individual moment. Tell us about you. You graduated from Western. What was your degree in? And then, um, you know, you went away for a little bit to, to do a graduate assistantship, I believe, down at TCU. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, graduating and then doing that internship and, and kind of that post-grad thing down at TCU in Fort Worth. Yeah, so I finished up. Undergrad was in uh, kinesiology. Like the emphasis was movement studies, so a lot of uh, biomechanical emphasis. Um, and then I went down to TCU for a few months and ended up coming back to Western for grad school. Okay. Because um, they offered to pay for it. And I was like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so T TCU was awesome. It was, it's one of those, you don't, it's hard to understand the level of expectations and competition at places of higher levels, I guess you'd call it, unless you've seen it. Um, and I'd never been around. I mean, they were, I think they were, yeah, they were in the big 12 at that point or just entering it. They were established as a major program. I spent most of the time with football. Um, seeing that environment and the level that they hold people and the level of expectations was an eye opener. Um, you know, we obviously have good programs here and levels of success. It's a different world. And you've, I mean, you've worked in pro sports. It's, it's a different world when the emphasis is not just on the personal development and being a student athlete, but on being an elite athlete. And that you base your day, you base your class schedule around whenever coach says you got to be at practice and meetings and lifting and then another meeting. And I mean, these dudes are spending crazy amount of hours and things around the sport in summer. You know, their summer classes are mandatory and they're paying for them and everything. It's, it's a different world. And what it did was some of it I could take back here, some of it not. You know, we have different emphasis at the D2 level. Um, but that culture of expectation, just that when you're here, you're going to do what you can to the best of your abilities. We may not be able to provide, you know, the full meal plans outside of it like they can, <laughs> but we can still provide resources for them. And when they're present, we can still hold people to those levels that when you're here, you are, you are here to get better. You are here to do whatever you can to improve. And then you can move on, you know, when you get out of this room. But when you're in this room, you're not here to think about the test that you have coming up tomorrow. You know, you're here to train. And then afterwards, you can go prep for the test. But for this hour, you're going to give me what you can. Yeah. Um, there were some crazy physical feats. I mean, guys hang cleaning 500 pounds, which I've never seen in person was was amazing um but it's primarily football got to work a bit with baseball um a little bit with volleyball and the basketball teams as well um learned a lot from some of those coaches just about how to structure programs how to how to complement practice right i think that was one of the big things was how to complement practice with your preparation and that it is preparation right nothing we do in a weight room can be specific inherently we don't have the implement of the sport so it can't be specific. So how do we prepare people to succeed in their sport was a big takeaway I learned from that. That's pretty awesome. A good experience and uh, came Definitely. back and then uh, got your master's here at Western and uh, the rest Correct. is history. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you are part of a true, true Viking family. Your wife, Emma, was also a Western alum. Um, what is it about that you love so much about this place um, in terms of just what it's offered you and, and sports as a job? But um, you know, now it's a home for your, you and your wife and your, your three lovely daughters. Yeah, it's, I think what I think of with Western is a lot of, and how I frame it to people is it's a lot of opportunity that Western is a place that will give you a chance to succeed if you want to. It's also a place where you will struggle if you're okay struggling. And I think for people who, who want to succeed and have goals, they will have those opportunities to do that. Um, and that's, that's largely what drew me to work here is I think we have a lot of people, really everybody in the department and the athletes yet are in line with that. They're people who want to accomplish things, who want to do big things, not even in the sense of moving up the ladder, but who want to make a difference. And they want to make a difference, not just in their sport, but in their lives. And that's a cool thing to be a part of and help people grow along the way. Um, especially as I've gotten older and had kids and everything, you know, my world outlook has shifted to a degree. Um, 
And to be able to contribute to that is a really cool experience to kind of give back in the way that people did to me, you know, as I was coming up. Um, but I think the biggest thing is just the, the people that we have in the department and the athletes that we get. Um, I think are really fun to work with and really fun to help along their journeys. Um, as far as living up here, I mean, everyone talks about the, the scenery and you got the bay and you got the mountains and it's cliche, but I think it's true. You know, as I've, I've always loved being in the outdoors. Um, one of the really weird things about being down in Texas for a while was there's no mountains and there's no water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, I've lived on the coast my whole life and uh, going there where, yeah, there's, there's nothing. It's flat everywhere and it's crazy and it's, it's different. And I'm very comfortable in this type of environment. You know, you, you have anywhere outdoors you'd want to go. It's beautiful. Um, there's a lot of good people in this area. People have really good intentions. Um, I think it's just, it's a cool place to live and we've enjoyed it so far. Yeah. I spent about 15 months down in the Metroplex down there in Dallas, Fort Worth. And yeah. I, I hear you, you don't yep. you look out and you can see the whole thing. It's, <laughs> it's, it's quite amazing if you're from the Northwest. Um, Definitely. you know, one of the things you talked about is your relationship with the student athletes. And I, we didn't get a chance to have the dub dub blue awards in person this year, but every year, you know, we introduce the staff and we, 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 we named Damian Fisher's name and, Boy, we get a really big round of applause. You are more than a fan favorite in the halls of Carver Gym. I think the student athletes look up to you not only as a strength and conditioning coach, as a mentor. You know, you're also a track and field coach for the throwers. But how much, how much pride do you take in that relationship and that mentorship role that you have um, in those roles I just mentioned? Yeah, honestly, a lot. It always means a lot to me when I get that feedback. Um, that I... The older I get, I'm not that old, I guess, <laughs> but the older I get, I think it's just the kids. Having three kids has just aged me a lot more than I am. Um, somehow I'm not 30 yet. I don't know how that's possible, Jeff. Um, is more and more I view this job and preparation at this level, and that's what I appreciate about the Division II level, is that we can hold people to a high standard. We want you to succeed, but I want you to do it for more than just your success here that your success here is a piece of the rest of your life. And I firmly believe how you approach, you know, the situations that you find yourself in are going to dictate how you approach situations in the future. So if your approach is I'm going to make it through this and just kind of, it's, it's a thing I'm doing, I just got to deal with it. You're going to have a hard time because you're going to face things that are going to be harder, you know, in your life. And some of us have worse luck than others but we're all going to face things that are difficult. And I think the way that we approach training can be taken to everything else in your life, right? If you choose to, and I think that's the big thing is you can approach it as, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, something I find funny about things like deadlifting is we're, we're returning the bar back to where it came from. So if we look at like an equation, we're doing zero because <laughs> there's no displacement. So we're doing a literally pointless task because we're expanding energy to accomplish literally nothing. Um, and if we approach it as that, then that's what it is. Okay, cool, I get stronger. Maybe I go, you know, be able to body someone on the court. Or I can approach it as, I don't want to do this today. I'm tired, it's 6 a.m. I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to choose to do this to the best of my ability. Um, and that is gonna have a lot more impact on your life than I got it done, my muscles will grow, I'll jump higher, I can go do stuff in my sport. Um, so that's, it always means a lot to me when I hear feedback like that, because that's what I want to try to instill in them is that you can't always control your situations, but you can always control your response to those situations. And the better work ethic you develop, the better consistency, consistent work ethic you develop that you approach things with intention, um, then the better you're going to set yourself up for the rest of your life. And we talk a lot about the student athlete experience, and I know you are a huge part of that. It's something that I remind myself every day when I come into Carver Gym or, you know, open the laptop at home. It's, it's a big part of what we do and impacting their lives. And I, I commend you because you, um, you are easily one of the most popular guys in Carver Gym, not only for the way that you treat them in that weight room, but the way that you expect them to work. So I applaud you over and over and over for that, and I love going in there and seeing you coach. Um, I do have to ask you though, has there been a project or a student athlete, um, you know, a project with a team or a student athlete that you've really enjoyed taking as a kind of a project and, and turning loose uh, all this great education you've had into a very good success story in Parbury? 
Oh, uh, I mean, it's hard to narrow down to one. It, it's one of those things that it's, there's so many people that have come through and have seen change um, in really, really cool ways. Um, you know, the one that pops to my mind, <laughs> for better or worse, and he'll get a laugh out of this too, if he listens, is Jeremiah Lee. Um, kid came in and I remember when, when he came in, Briz told me like, he's really raw, but he's got a good workout that you're gonna like this kid. I mean, he might've weighed 170 pounds or something. Um, I mean, by the time he left, I think he fell in love a little bit too much with, <laughs> with the iron. Um, you know, he looked like a rugby prop and, uh, but he did well. I mean, he, he grew and he grew a lot mentally through his approach to things, you know, and it, I know the weight room in general had a large impact on him um, just in how, how, yeah, how to approach things. You know, he ended his senior year, he was a defensive player of the year in the conference. Um, and I think he was kind of a perfect example of, you know, it's, it's a journey. You're figuring things out. You're not going to get it right every time. Um, but the consistent work is going to pay off in the end. You know, we're part of why it's hard to pick one person is I really strongly believe that we can't, and this is always hard in athletics because especially like for my field, we work in objective numbers. Did the number go up? Did, you know, what is the number? Um, and something I try to really impress on them, especially when they come in as a freshman, is that, you know, your coach brought you here for a reason. So whatever your numbers are, whatever your physical ability is, in of itself, it doesn't matter. It's that we're trying to improve it on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, I think we all have God-given abilities that we didn't have a choice in. <laughs> They're there whether we like them or not. And it's, it's our individual responsibilities to maximize those abilities. And, you know, someone like Jeremiah, he put the work in, had ups and downs, but he ended up, you know, a defensive player of the year, first team all conference, might've been all region, you know, whatever the awards. Um, we've got, I don't know how many other kids, you know, have the same, same approach and don't reach those levels, levels of success. You know, there's a, um, uh, I think she's a, an assistant, student grad assistant now, Kailisa Hull, um, for softball, she was one like that, where just come in and work every day and love the process and still loves the process and would just work every day. And she didn't reach pinnacles of softball success. Um, but I know she got a lot personally out of that approach and that just what that work will do for you personally and, uh, um, you know, kind of in your life. Yeah. A lot of great success stories in there. Some of them are not measurable on the Definitely. or on the track, but you can see them grow as young adults. And that's one of my favorite parts of the job yes. is seeing the difference that um, these student athletes are going to make in the world afterward. Um, one of my favorite things is always I'll get, I'll get a lot of uh, people send me either videos or pictures or updates, you know, like six months later, like, Hey, I hit this thing you know, that we were trying to reach, you know, when we we're here, I did this now. That's always cool to see that they they're keeping that habit and they're keeping that, um, you know, as, as a part of their lives and a part of their approach. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Well, one of the things that we did early in this pandemic, and it seems like a long time ago was a feature called Workout Wednesday on social media. Um, probably need to revisit that sometime. Didn't, right? think, we'd be, didn't think we'd still be here, but we are. No, definitely not. Um, and it was very well received. And it kind of made me think, you know, that you can impact people. Um, a lot of people that we reach are in the athletic department or on campus. And these videos about just doing simple movements at home. And how important is that just to stay active? And um, from a mental health standpoint, you know, I know you, you, the strength and conditioning is more than just about strength and conditioning. It's about being in the right frame of mind. Um, you know, what, what, what advice would you give those people that are, you know, working from home still and um, dragging a little bit through the holidays? You know, what are some, what are, what's some advice to do, that you can do from home to just get active and get moving and get sweating a little bit? Uh, start. Is, and I mean, it, this, this is always one of those things that it's the hardest part is getting started. And then what people tend to do is try to do too much, you know, first go. It's like, I haven't, I haven't worked out. I haven't ran. I haven't, whatever it is in like three months. So I'm going to go on a five mile run today. And then you feel terrible. <laughs> and you're like, well, now my knee hurts. So I'm going to have to wait two weeks before I can do it again. And then you're like, okay, I feel good. Five mile run today. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I mean, the, the benefits of exercise on many different types of exercise, um, uh, I mean, almost any type, are, we can't understate them as far as mental health, on immune support, on our general fitness, on cardiac health. I mean, it's 
undisputable how important these things are for you. Um, the hard part is finding time to fit them in your day because exercise is one of those things that you might have an acute effect on mood for some people. We've seen that. But in general, it's not something that you get immediate gratification from. I mean, usually you feel worse right afterwards than before. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those where if you train, you've, you've beat your body down a bit. And then our bodies are amazing. And they recovered too better than we were before, which is how we improve our health and our fitness and these kind of things. Um, but just the habit is the biggest piece. And it's what I tell people is schedule it in your day. And it might be five minutes to stretch. You know, it might be five minutes to go on a walk. Um, it, whatever it is, if you can schedule it in your day and you keep it in your day, then it's going to be easier to scale that up or down as need be. But as soon as you take it out of the day entirely, it's probably not coming back in for a little bit. I mean, yeah. especially today's world, we all got stuff going on. Um, but especially during this pandemic where we're cooped up and we can't go, you know, to a gym, even if it's a walk, you know, take, take a walk at a fast enough pace that, that, you know, your breath picks up a little bit and you'd have trouble talking. Um, stretch or do, you know, 10 push-ups or whatever you can do, you know, every five minutes for an hour while you're, while you're making dinner these little things can go a long way towards setting the habit. And if you can establish the habit, then you can have the health and mental benefits that come from it. Well, I think uh, you got me motivated to share some of these workout Wednesdays. Maybe we can do a special <laughs> holiday edition. You know, I've been running through the pandemic and it's been going okay. But like you said, you need to schedule it and take care of yes. yourself. And uh, it's a good reminder for all of us. Like you said, just to start, do something. Yep. Um, do something. Something's better than nothing. You know, one of the big things is how have you kept student athletes motivated? We've gone through a little bit of a roller coaster uh, through all this. Um, you know, the student athletes were allowed to be back on campus and practice and do some uh, weight training in groups of 10. That got shut down before finals. But how have you been able to keep them motivated um, and to share simple things like that we just talked about with our student athletes? Um because, you know, they are athletes and their bodies need this. How have you kept them motivated? Reframing. That's been the big, big one ever since spring. You know, we never thought it would last this long. <laughs> so back in spring, it was, you know, okay, we got three more months than we usually do. <laughs> um, you know, or the situation changed. Now, you know, it, it's tough. And that's the thing is it's, I think it's important that we don't, we don't pretend it's all rosy and that everything will be great. It's like, no, it won't, it sucks, you know? But going back to, we can always choose how we respond to a situation, we can't choose the situation. You know, I know we have kids who will look at, you know, UW is playing games and stuff like that. And it's like, man, we're, we're sitting out and they're getting to play. It's like, we can't control that. Here's where we are. So we have to choose how are we going to respond to the situation that we're in. So as much as possible, I speak on reframing that as, and it's, it's kind of cheesy and it really is, is reframing it as what are your opportunities as opposed to what are your limitations? And when I say it's cheesy, that's not even to discount it. It's just, I think it's okay to recognize that things are a little like, cheesy for the sake of being cheesy. Yeah. That like, it, yeah, it sucks. We're not trying to say that this is, you know, oh, it's an opportunity and it's all great. It's like, no, it's, it sucks. You know, basketball doesn't have a season. But if we focus on the fact that we don't have a season, um, you know, we're going to be in a rough spot mentally and everything. Um, and understandably so. So our only option in that case is to look at what can we do because of this situation? Not just what can I do in spite of it, but what can I do because of it? So in the case of basketball, like from my perspective, we can look at usually basketball is one of those sports that they come in in the fall and, you know, six weeks later or so they're playing games. It's a really short preparation period. And then they play for five months. And then in the spring, you still have, you know, spring ball where you're doing pickup games and, and limited practices and that kind of stuff. So we don't have a lot of actual preparation time to develop some of these physical qualities. Um, so now we do, you know, so this is an opportunity to, build ourselves physically in preparation for next season. Is it better than playing? No, these aren't equivalent, <laughs> but we have to focus on what those opportunities are. So re reframing things into focusing 
not ignoring, but focusing on the opportunities as opposed to the limitations that we're experiencing. Well, that's a great piece to communicate to them. And I'm sure, you know, it's, it's not easy, but uh, we can't wait for our, our student athletes to come back and practice hopefully in January. And, and yep. maybe there'll be some light at the end of the tunnel, but like you said, um, stay positive and you've done a great job of that. Um, yeah. You know, one of the most, more fascinating things that I've learned about you, Damien is, 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 is your Highland games. And, you know, you post a lot <laughs> on Instagram and what you're doing. And I, I personally, before I knew you, I didn't know anything about it. Um, but tell us a little bit about, what you do in the Highland games and um, not just what you do, but what you do very well. Um, if you were to type in uh, Highland games, standings, Damian Fisher in Google, you're going to get a very small list. Um, how did you get involved? What are some of the competitions that you do? And uh, you know, for the person that have, will have said, I've never heard of Highland games, you know, what's one thing that they may actually say, Oh, I've seen someone do that on TV. So give us a little bit of the cliff notes version on Damian and the Highland games. Yeah, so those are, I mean, 2013 was the first time I realized they were a thing in the United States. Um, coming from track and field, you know, we that's where shot put comes from is the stone throw. You know, that's where the hammer comes from is the hammer in the Scottish games. Um, it's, one, it's one of those cool things, kind of like the Olympics, the ancient Greek Olympics, where they've influenced a lot of the modern uh, games. The Highland games have the triple jump and the long jump and the high jump and all these, all these things that we see today in much more refined forms. Um, instead of jumping over in grass <laughs> or throwing rocks. Um, so all I did was take it back to caveman days and actually throw the rocks again. <laughs> but it's, you know, Cliff Notes version of the Highland Games is they're a Scottish kind of cultural competition, um, you know, ancient test of manhood basically to determine the, originally I believe it was to determine like the King's Guard. So basically who are your biggest, baddest dudes around? And we're gonna do a bunch of athletic events to determine, which was, you know, common back then because you had to actually fight physically to protect the king. Um, you know, today they're available to anybody. So they have master's classes, they have kids' classes, um, they have women's classes. Um, but it's that's their roots is in those Scottish, you know, manhood tests. And we stumbled into them. There's there's been in games in Ferndale for like 60 years or something. And my wife loves bagpipes, always has. Like we'll be brought to tears by bagpipes. Um, and so we ended up, we somehow found out there was a games in Ferndale while we were still going to school here in 2013 um and we went to go see them just okay cool we'll go check them out and see them um we ended up seeing people throwing and we'd happen to go as a group with some other friends and a couple of the guys that were on the track team with me and there were three of us that saw the throwing and we're like whoa this would be fun like after we finish up like let's go do this um so we all planned to do it the next year um i think i was the only one who ended up doing them for various reasons but uh yeah we en I ended up coming out and had no idea what was going on. I went to a, like a, an intro clinic they had the night before, um, hosted by a guy named Ryan Stewart, who's a great guy. Um, that they, I had no idea what half the events were that I was gonna be throwing the next day. <laughs> but there's nine events. There, there are two stone throws. So one's a heavy stone, it's 25-ish pounds that you throw standing. Um, one you throw just like you would a shot put if you went to any track and field competition, 16 pounds-ish, so the same. Um, Thing about the rocks is they'll vary in the size some are nice some are not so nice um two weights so one is 56 pounds and one is 28 pounds and you throw them in one hand like a discus um two hammers a heavy and a light you throw them like the olympic hammer but your feet can't move so we actually wear um you got boots and you stick big six inch blades on your boots and drive them in the ground <laughs> to anchor yourself and uh throw from there uh, and then a couple height events where you throw things like a 56 pound weight up over a bar. Um, and then the iconic one that nearly everybody has seen from a movie at some time or another is the caber, which is the big telephone pole looking thing where someone stands it up for you. You've got to pick it up, run with it, and then stop and try to flip that thing over. Um, and when it flips, they measure how close to straight ahead that it can fall. So everything else is either height or distance. Um, and the caber is how close to 12 o'clock on a clock face that it can fall. So they're fun. I stumbled into it, um, kind of like my throwing career in college. My very brief one was it turned out I'm really good at throwing. <laughs> I just found out really late. Um, so I threw amateur for a couple years and then ended up being able to go professional. Um, so I spend my summers getting paid to fly around North America and throw stuff. Where do you practice this? I mean, you, you have a little spot out in your yard where you've got some of these uh, some of these 
practice methods and, and big rocks or um, is there a place you go in the area to do it or how does that work? Uh, finding whatever fields are available. You know, usually it was before this year, it's always civic field because they've got the throwing area. You know, most places aren't too happy about holes being left in their soccer fields, <laughs> understandably. Um, so usually civic field is where I'd go. Uh, Ferndale High School has a throwing field. I, tr I try to, you know, it's one of those things you want to be respectful of the spaces. Like you don't want to go leave holes in their nice football field. Um, that's just not good for anybody. You don't want to, you don't want to be the cause someone blows an ankle out. So it's one of those where I'll take, um, you know, the implements that don't go as far, such as the weights or the stones. Um, I'll take those to, you know, a shot put area, you know, whatever seems to be available. Um, stuff like hammer, which is, um, uh, that's one, that's my better event. Um, I'll need, you know, 150 feet of space at least for that thing. So it's kind of limited. Right? Uh, if I can find a field, you know, at a middle school that doesn't seem like it's used, I'll use that civic field when it's available. Um, really what you can. And that's, that's one of the fun things and frustrating things about the games is you can throw them anywhere you throw off grass. So yeah. wherever you can find, as long as it's not going to get in the way and cause too much trouble for people, you're good to go. Well, it's very unique and it's very cool. And you are very successful at it. We'll try and share some of the YouTube videos along with this. Yeah. If you doing your thing, but uh, yeah, I'm always intrigued by that. And it's so cool to see you competing nationally at that level. Do you have your eye on an upcoming event? I know things are a little bit different right now with COVID, but is there something that you're training for? Honestly, it's just getting back into it. Um, you know, I, in 2018, I was fortunate enough to end up making the world championship. Um, and I took seventh there, just missed out on a selection last year or yeah, 2019, I guess it would be, you know, this year, um, due to the pro competitions being, you know, needing money to pay us, um, and the festivals couldn't be held. We didn't have, I didn't compete at all, which was weird. That was the first year since before, you know, really high school I didn't travel for sports. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just honestly getting back to it, you know, our national championship is usually in November or I'm sorry, September, um, right before school starts back up and just trying to stay ready you know, try to stay engaged and be able to go back and throw at a high level, you know, not, not lose too much after the yeah, time off yeah. is really the goal. Yeah. Well, we look forward to seeing that. And uh, like I said, we'll share some of those videos of you, but uh, last question before I get kind of into the lightning round of things, but you're, yeah. you're, you're, a, you're a big family guy. I always see team Fisher at, at events at in Carver gym, whether it be volleyball or basketball or uh, out at the track when we have home events, you know, you're coaching a little bit, but, uh, and you just added another daughter this summer, I believe. Uh, mm -hmm. How special is it to be a girl dad? You know, they, that's a term that you've seen lately, especially with, with Kobe, but you're, you know, you're a father to three young um, girls. How has that been? And, uh, and, you know, I know it brings a smile to your face, but tell us a little about being a dad and that's with three girls. You know, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's one of those things. I, I don't know how many times I was asked, you know, beforehand, um, you know, like, do you want, do you want a boy so that he can do sports with you and stuff? And it's like, one, that doesn't matter. Two, especially having these girls, they love to do everything I do. Like they will go and if I'm lifting in the garage, they will go and grab those weights and try to lift them and get really frustrated when they can. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, they, they can pick up some of the smaller ones and it's their favorite thing. They'll come out when I throw and they love to throw stuff. One of their favorite things would always be to come to the gym to watch games and all they'd want to do after the game is over and come into the weight room and try to pick the dumbbells and medicine balls up. Like they, they love being around this stuff and they have a lot of fun with it. Um, so no, it's, it's awesome. And they're, they're the best. Yeah. It's fun to see them at the games uh, all the time. We look forward to, we see them again pretty soon here. All right, Damien, I got to ask you some hard hitting questions here. Um, all right. It's always a good way to end these interviews because it kind of sh shines a little light into you besides being a strength and conditioning coach and a track coach and a, and even a dad, but uh, what's your favorite restaurant in Bellingham or and or Whatcom County? Uh, Boundary Bay. All right. Favorite. Yeah, that's the way to go. All right. Do you have a favorite movie? Not really. I don't watch a lot of movies. Uh, what about a what about a TV show you binged on lately? Any, any good TV shows TV that you've kind of sunk your teeth into? Uh, I watched The Mandalorian. That Ooh. was good. Star Wars yeah. fan, huh? Yeah. You know, up and down. Up and down. All right. Is there a book that you've read lately that you highly recommend? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, most people probably haven't heard of it. It's Confessions by St. Augustine, which is a book from about 400 AD. Um, and it's, it's kind of his 
um, basically his growth as a person and how he came to his faith and that kind of stuff um, makes you think. It's one of those, it makes you think and evaluate kind of how you're living and how you're approaching things. Awesome. Do you have a favorite sports team that you like to catch on TV? Not in particular. I like pretty much all sports. Okay. So kind of whatever's, whatever's on. You, uh, you know, we're in the land of hikes. So I always like to ask, do you have a favorite hike that you've been on either with yourself or your family that uh, kind of clears your head and screams uh, that we're in Whatcom County? I think Oyster Dome would probably be the iconic one. I think funny story about that one. The first time my wife and I did that hike, we were told, ah, it's, it's moderate. It's not too bad, whatever. Um, things like straight up and down. And we, I mean, we were fine. We were in college during it. So we were, we were fine on it, but it took us a lot longer than we thought. So we, we, I mean, being unprepared, stupid, like 20 year olds, we didn't have like flashlights because we didn't think we were going to be there that long. So we're coming down like in the pitch dark. And so that one's always stuck in my mind, but that's, that's a great one. I kind of think encapsulates the area. Awesome. Do you guys have a, a really fun holiday tradition in your household? this this one's a little off the wall we have always it's never worked out to have thanksgiving um, with family on thanksgiving for one reason or another so the past three or four years before this year we would always on thanksgiving we'd go to canada and do all of our christmas shopping with their black friday sales (laughs) because there's nobody there's nobody there um use the exchange rate knock everything out um and then you're good. And we'd go have Thanksgiving on the weekend with family. This year, this year, they had to switch up though. Yeah, well, that's a good one. Um, go the go-to meal that you make for your family. If you're cooking that. Uh, pulled chicken and sweet potatoes with goat cheese. Ooh, wow, looks great. The way to go. Put some balsamic on there too. You're set. Yeah. Favorite Northwest road trip? Like you said, you grew up in Silverdale with the high school in Fife, college in Bellingham. We've got 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 the kind of the northwest section there i've covered favorite road trip in the state or northwest uh i love anything on the peninsula you get out into towards the rainforest um that stuff's great um my grandma lives in eastern washington so i've done a lot of drives out there um this is isn't quite northwest but the drive up to banff national forest or national park in canada is an amazing one too awesome uh dream vacation destination uh really any, anywhere with snow I love, I love the winter. I love the snow. Favorite flavor of ice cream? I'm boring. Probably vanilla or cookie dough. Oh, okay. And last one, I like to ask, this is kind of a unique one for you. You got a, you got a next home project. We're kind of in project modes, but is there a next home yep. project for Damien? Um, we're going through the bedroom now. We're going to do the floor and, and the wall. So we've, we've done the floors in the house. We've done... We painted like everything. I've completely redone the garage. You wouldn't even recognize it. I think the bedroom is the next on the docket. All right. Well, Damien, we learned a lot about you from strength and conditioning to your time as a two-sport student athlete to being a dad to the Highland Games, all the way to, you know, sweet potatoes and balsamic and goat cheese and pulled chicken. So uh, thanks for spending time with us. I know that our student athletes and our coaches and our alums are going to enjoy this, but I think it's going to reach a far bigger audience because of of the person that you are and the help that you give our student athletes. So thanks for giving us the time on Viking voices and to the fishers. Happy holidays. Awesome. You too. Happy holidays, Jeff. I appreciate it.